Welcome in, everybody. This is another episode of Scurry in the Scrub. I'm Matty Marinas. That's Jordan Scurry. Uh, we are your hosts. Uh, long time no talk, but tonight we have, or today we have a good episode for you. Joining us on this episode is uh, outgoing, unfortunately, outgoing Creighton Athletic Director Bruce Rasmussen, uh, making his first appearance on the pod. Hopefully not his last, though. If he has more time, in theory, like that's that's more opportunities for us to talk to him, right? Is that what I think? I'm not sure you'll see a value in that, but if you do, <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> you know, you're going to come back and watch some games with us next year. Yeah, we can talk yeah. about some of the games next year. That'd I can be, be a lot more critical now, can't I? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's why you can come on. Yeah. Um, well, f- first of all, we appreciate you joining us. We know you're kind of making the rounds and doing a little bit of a, um accelerated retirement tour. And um, with the deadline coming up for your last day, we appreciate you hopping on. I guess I, the first thing I think is like you, you know, you make this decision and it seems like it came to you in a moment. And I'm wondering um, that takes a little bit of like internal courage, I guess, because it's a big decision for your life. Are you beginning to become at peace with that decision? Like, it, you know, after you make that leap, do you, are you becoming comfortable with the fact that your day's, as a athletic director at Creighton are coming to an end? Well, I'm not sure I'm at, have been at peace with very many of the decisions I've made. Uh, frankly, it's something that I have been thinking about for quite some time, but not seriously. It's just that, you know, as you get up in age, uh, you know that it, not only is your job going to come to an end, everything's going to come to an end at some time. And getting old, it beats the alternative, but there's also some pain involved. And, and the pain involved is not just physical pain. You know, you start uh, not remembering things that are important. Uh, you start um, uh, having, uh, knowing that you're towards the end and there's some pain of regret and some things that you haven't been able to do that you wanted to do. So, you know, I, I just think that uh, especially the timing was intentional for a couple of reasons. While it seems abrupt, uh, the reality is I, I don't like these farewell tours. I'm not a guy that, you know, okay, a year from now is going to be my last time. And then every time you walk by somebody, there's a discussion about it. And I, I that's just not my personality. But also, we're starting a new school year. We got athletes coming onto campus this week. Uh, we've got a number of issues that need to be addressed. We thought we had COVID behind us, and we're finding out we don't. Uh, we've got names, images, and likenesses, one-time transfer. We've got budget issues as a result of COVID. Uh, we've got a lot of NCAA issues, and even though you would think that a decision by Oklahoma and Texas does not impact a basketball only league a league without football it certainly has ramifications for the big east so i think that uh, especially with all the digital media all the social media all of the changes and we have i will tell you one of the things that has certainly made it easier for me is we have an outstanding staff i mean i think we have uh, a, a great great young aggressive staff and Sometimes if you don't make an opportunity for them to grow and develop and advance within your own program and your own department, they go elsewhere. And with a lot of changes at a lot of athletic uh, uh, departments, I don't want to lose some of our most talented people, especially some of our most talented young people to others. 
to other schools and you, you want them to have that opportunity to grow and develop. But we have a tremendous staff right now and they can function without me. A lot of them are much more talented than I am. Uh, we have put some things at least somewhat in the rearview mirror. Uh, we've gotten through the NCAA investigation, mm. got through, uh, we'll never put it completely past us, but we've learned a lot from uh, the, the MAC statement earlier in the year. Uh, we uh, have, we thought we were through COVID. Um, we think we've uh, done some good homework on names, images, and likenesses. We have a long ways to go. Uh, we think we're in a good position with a lot of our sports. So it makes it a lot easier to step away when you think you're in a good spot uh, yeah. with, with your department, with a lot of our programs. Now, as you mentioned, like growing in uh, everything and like everything coming in, right? Have you had any time like to reflect on, I mean, obviously 20 years, long time and all that, right? So have you had any time to reflect on just watching the grow because it sounds like you know you're still busy and all that but have you had any time to you know sit back and just see the growth that created gone through because even just in my four years seeing it grow in that was just incredible so I can't imagine having all the years you were there yeah it's a good question Jordan and I for a guy that can't remember what he had for breakfast yesterday you know as you get older you'll find out that that isn't such a funny statement but um, uh, you do you, you do have a chance to reflect. Um, and, uh, and there have been a lot of changes. Uh, but one of the things that's, that's been constant, why I've stayed at Creighton for 41 years, is we have, in my 41 years at Creighton, we've always attracted outstanding young men and young women in our athletics programs. We've all, always had a, a tremendous staff, and we've always had great support from a number of people in uh, not only on campus, but in Omaha and the Creighton community. But most of all is the interaction with 18 to 21 year olds. You know, we sometimes forget, especially as sport has become more monetized and we hear so much talk about, uh, you know, the business aspect of sport and the monetization of sport. Uh, it, it's easy to forget what our number one priority is. And our number one priority is to serve the young men and young women who come here. They're not here to serve us. We're here to serve them. We're the reason, they're the reason we're here. And sometimes we forget that. And what does it mean to serve them? It means that we, it's easy to say, welcome to the Blue Jay family. And Jordan, you've heard that, you know, you're a member of the Blue Jay family. It's a lot easier to say it than it is to live it. And you know that I've got five kids of my own and I know that they aren't all equally successful. They all haven't had the same, you know, low maintenance. Uh, they grow and develop at different stages and they make mistakes and you hope they learn from mistakes, but they are part of my family. And I would hope that we, at me personally, but also me as a staff or us as a staff, have treated, have done a good job of treating all our young men and young women as they truly are a part of our family, regardless of their performance uh, on the courts or fields, regardless of how they do academically, regardless of some of the de decisions they make. Uh, athletics is a game of mistakes. Coaches make mistakes. 
players make mistakes, officials certainly make mistakes. Uh, and yet the goal is to learn from those mistakes, to learn from those mistakes. But I'm telling you that we talk about the education process of the young men and women who have gone through here. We're looking at it from the wrong aspect. The, the young men and women who have gone through here have certainly taught us a lot more than we've taught them. And we've learned a lot more from them. We need to learn from them. We need to listen uh, to them. And we need to make changes based upon what's important to them. And it's been a great process for me. Have you, uh, do you remember a point where you, or maybe is this still happening? Like, have you become a better listener as an athletic director at Creighton than you were necessarily a, a someone who was always like you mentioned the talking, the communicating as much as you're listening and talking, are you a better listener now at this stage of your um, tenure than you were into it? Like maybe even a decade ago. If I, if I'm not, then I have failed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, there's a verse in Bible says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. And I would tell you early in my coaching career, I was over three. Really? <laughs> that, that's embarrassing. You know, but certainly as you have your own kids and, you know, I thought, I think all coaches, ideally, all coaches should have kids that are teenagers or older before they are really certified to coach. Mm -hmm. Because when I started coaching, Mike, even when my, my young, first of all, I didn't have kids. And then when I had kids, they were young and you, when kids get to be especially, well, all the way through the process, but especially through middle school, through going through puberty, going through high school, I've never said, I don't know as much as I did as a parent. Now, as a coach early in my career, I thought, how is this so difficult? I try to be complete, honest, and specific. Now, do what I tell you. Uh, you find out that that doesn't work. Uh, that doesn't work with your own kids. So how can you expect it from from uh, 18 to 21 year olds. And I, so, and you know, communication, somebody once said, the biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has occurred. Okay, communication is hearing, it's speaking and listening. And I made the mistake early in my coaching career where I spent my first uh, job as a head coach, I spent a lot of time early in the process telling my athletes, and I was complete, honest, and specific, telling them what I expected from them. Okay, I expect all-out effort. I expect them to be a part of a team. I expect them to execute the fundamentals of the game. I expect them to be in great condition. What I didn't do was listen to what they needed from me. And there's a difference from what I want from them and what they need from me. And I learned that lesson early. And if I wouldn't have learned that lesson early, I'd have been out of the coaching business a long time ago. Mm. And it was magnified then when I had my own kids. And, you know, we are so busy telling, we tell our athletes we're here to serve them, but then we tell them, here's what you have to do. Here's what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. Here's what's, uh, here's what you should see. Uh, here's what you should hear from me. And we need to spend more time listening to them. And it's still, I'm still not a great listener, but I think I'm better than I was. That's a great one though. Excuse me. That's a great one though, just because I feel like you even alluded to it earlier, just the staff you have kind of in the, all the coaches, even just Mac, for example, has gotten so much better at that just in our time together. Like you could see where he would 
talk more to guys. And I think him and Mitch's relationship is a great like uh, example of that, right? And so just even as you were talking about your staff, like in the program is just in such good hands because of all of the hires you've made. Did you go into that with the intention? Like you wanted to have coaches like that would be like that, that would have that same mentality you just talked about in terms of listening and growing like that? Yeah, yeah, another great question. The number one priority for me in searching for coaches and staff people was their ability to serve the students, not have the students serve them, to be able to listen, to be able to identify, to be able to be flexible and say, you're going to have, not say, you're going to have to adjust to me, but I'm going to adjust to you. And early in my career in coaching, uh, I was, here's the way it's going to be done and you need to have it be my way. And that worked for some people, but it isn't a recipe for success. And when I started being more successful as a coach, when I started being more successful as a leader, I learned, number one, to listen to them, two, to serve them, to make myself available, not have them serve me, but me serve them. And uh, I, I started asking these questions. Okay, why are you out for a sport. What are your goals individually and what are your goals as a team and how can I help? And the critical part of it is how can I help? Because that's my job. And I found out that I was a much better leader when I started serving them instead of asking them to serve me. And I think that's a a great lesson. But when I looked at coaches, that was number one, because we're not at Creighton. In spite of the fact, I think we've moved up the food chain in a lot of sports, we're not in a position where we're going to win based on talent alone. We're not going to get the best talent. What we've got to do is we've got to do the best job of taking what talent we have and adjusting what we do based on that talent and trying to take the gap between performance and potential and narrowing that gap as much as possible. That involves teaching, that involves listening, that involves serving. So those are the things that you look for in a coach, but also uh, there were three main buckets. One was passion. Uh, And passion means what did you do that you didn't have to do? And Jordan, you know this as a a basketball player, but if if we're gonna have people in our office that say, okay, my, my job is to be here at eight and to end at three, or practice starts at three and ends at six, and that's all they do, we're not gonna be successful. Practice is, an opportunity for you to learn what you need to work on individually and as a team, and then to go outside with, uh, with guidance, if it's possible, to go outside and to work on those things. And the same with us. So I look at what do kids do that they didn't have to do? Okay. And, it, and I look at that when I look at a resume. And it doesn't have to be in the particular area that I'm looking for them. I'm look, when I look at somebody on our staff, I say, what did they do in the community? What did they do on their campus? What did they do that they didn't have to do? Uh, because that's a habit. Okay, that's passion to me. Uh, I hate it's not in my job description. I hate I gave it my best shot. It is I'll do what I need to do. I'll find a way to get it done. Okay. Intelligence is obviously skill. It's obviously knowledge. You see some 
basketball players that could bench press the building that are tall, that jump out of the gym. And if you put their basketball instincts in a bird, it would fly backwards. You know, <laughs> instincts, basketball instincts and intelligence and a wisdom and decision making is way underrated. The most successful players we've had are kids that are, have great instincts. Yes. Uh, uh, they make great decisions. They make their teammates better. They're not necessarily the most talented. So, and that to me is intelligence. And then third character. I want to know how they represent themselves, the program, the university. And one of the things I heard in training of Navy SEALs was a guy who trained Navy SEALs and roughly one out of a hundred people who try to get into Navy SEALs are successful uh, in getting into Navy SEALs. And he said the number one characteristic of those people who get into the Navy SEALs program isn't physical strength, it isn't mental toughness, it's care for the person next to you. And in all my years, and maybe because I wasn't a great athlete, I was a role player, uh, I sat on the bench a lot, but I will tell you that in my time at Creighton, 41 years, those teams that came the closest to narrowing the gap between their potential and performance obviously had talent. But it wasn't the people in the spotlight that dictated the culture and the narrowing of the gap. It was the people that showed up every day for the love of the game, that were passionate about the game, that went and said, I'm willing to play a role. I'm willing to do what it takes to be a part of a team. Uh, everybody on the team is important. And those are the teams that came closest to narrowing that gap between their performance and potential. And I, I've recognized that and I try uh, in my position to communicate that to people that are a part of the process. We've Jordan and I have touched on that numerous times with numerous people. So it's funny that you bring that up again. I just have one more question about uh, that's more reflective than it is looking forward. Um, and this is maybe because I'm a little bit of an old soul. There's moments where there've been days where I'm kind of like in between um events or activities and I'll just like find a place on campus and I'll just sit on a park bench and look around and I remember you know my parents went to Creighton in the late 70s early 80s um and my dad would take me to events you know as a little kid all the time so I've seen the picture in my mind grow in terms of what Creighton looks like if I were to paint it on a map um do you ever catch yourself like looking around and, and, and visualizing what it was when you got here versus what it has become now. And is there any level, I know you're not much of a boastful person, but is there any level of appreciation for the growth that has happened just in terms of the view of what it looks like, how big it's, it's gotten larger than life in a small way. It seems like, yeah. Do you have any level of appreciation for that, even though it's under your watch? And you well, I, I, you do appreciate it, but I, I guess it, I don't. I'm so busy trying to be better today than I was yesterday that I don't think about it as much. And sometimes, and Jordan, I think understands and agrees with this. Sometimes, when you're part of the process, you're so busy on mm -hmm. the next game, the next day, getting better that you don't enjoy and you don't have an opportunity to reflect. And it happens with me more when players, student athletes from those times come back and they are amazed at, at the changes. I, I don't think about it as much. I know this, you know, what we say to our players every day 
is when you come to practice, what are you going to do today individually? And what are you going to do as a part of a group to be better today than you were yesterday? And if coaches and staff don't have that same mentality, where there's a disconnect between the players and the coaches, 18, 21 year olds cut through the bull pretty quickly. And if you're asking that of them and they don't see it out of you, there's a disconnect. You're not going to be successful. So I've always tried to, in fact, I, I just took it down, but I, I, uh, I've had some sayings on my wall that basically challenge you in that way. What are you doing today to be better today than you were yesterday? And when that's your primary focus, it's, it's I guess it's harder uh, to think about, well, where we were or, boy, we, we've come this far. It's where am I going today that's better than I was yesterday? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And so I guess, excuse me, so I guess moving forward, looking forward now to even, what do you think is, like, what is your vision now and what do you hope, I guess, to see out of what Creighton does, you know, in the next steps and after you're leaving or whatever is next for you? Well, I think that one of the exposures we have is as, as we get bigger, uh, and when I started uh, at Creighton, we had 12 full-time people in the athletics department. Now we have 80 and you can't spend the same amount of time with people that you did the same with our athletic programs. And as my job has expanded, I love being around student athletes. It's the reason we're here. It is the highlight of my day. But as you get, as you get bigger and you have more responsibilities, you lose that some. So my hope is that no matter what happens to Creighton, athletics in the future and we need to continue growing and and developing we need to be better a year from now and five years from now and 10 years from now than we are now but I hope that we don't lose the priority that student athletes are number one and there is not a close number two Uh, this was uh the NCAA just really or I don't know if the NCAA released it but there was a gender equity review um done in comparison to you know, the, the men's discipline tournament for basketball and, and the women's side of it. And um, I don't want to get too hung up on like bashing a, an entity here, but I want to see like, what do you think is the, the disconnect here between just in full on investment pedal to the metal for women's athletics, where you see volleyball and you see women's basketball and you see softball and they clearly have, in my opinion, they clearly have entertainment value. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe you disagree with this, but I don't think it's being maximized in terms of its viewership because of maybe networks prioritizing those, those traditional major sports as they see them. Where do you see as the disconnect in, in investment in women's sports? And how do you think that needs to be addressed in the near future to make that a brighter future for those sports? Well, it's, it's something that we all have to wrestle with, whether it's on our own campus, whether it's within our own conference or whether it's at the NCAA level, but you have to balance what you can do with what you should do. Mm-hmm. And as we're being asked to run athletics more as a business, especially at the division one level, yeah. it's different at the division three level or division two level, but at the division one level where we're asked to run it more as a business, let's look at the the tension for a business. Let's, let's just take another business. Let's uh, take Budweiser, uh, which sounds pretty good right now. But if, if 90% of your revenue comes in with Bud and Bud Light and you are said, you need to, to spend as much 
money marketing, as much money promoting, as much staffing, and have as many staff for or duels, which brings in 2% of, of your uh, revenue, you have a tension of opposites. Mm. And in a way, that's one of the issues that we have to deal with on our own campus uh, and within our own conference and nationally is we, we are asked to run NCAA and our athletic department as a business, and yet we do have some pressures outside of that. I would agree with you that I think women's basketball, women's volleyball, there are a number of sports that need to operate more on their own and not as a part of a, a group. Uh, but the value of a sport uh, to a network is based upon not what we think the value is, but what the network's willing to pay. Exactly. And, you know, I think football is overemphasized. I think, God, when you look at what they're paying for football, but it's what the market will ask. Right. And for instance, uh, I think women's basketball at this point, I think 10 years ago, women's basketball had to be part of a larger group in terms of television revenue uh, because there weren't bidders for women's basketball only. So you put it together with other things. I think it's grown and developed to your point enough. Women's basketball, women's volleyball, women's softball have grown enough that I think it's time that either schools or conferences or the national level, we put those out for bid on their own. But again, if you don't have competition uh, and I was a part of the, uh, television negotiations with men's basketball when I was on the men's basketball committee, when CBS had the contract for the March Madness, mm -hmm. CBS had it entirely. They couldn't make the payment. They had to partner with someone and they partnered with Turner and, and TBS. Uh, ESPN was not willing to bid on it. Okay. When, when we, uh, joined the Big East, and the Big East had a television contract. Basically, ESPN, CBS, NBC, ABC said Fox way overpaid. There wasn't competition. So the best way for a sport like women's basketball or volleyball to maximize their television revenue is to have competition, mm -hmm. to have bidders, to have more than one person uh, be interested or one entity be interested in your product. And I think we're there. Yeah. And we weren't there back at that time because at that time, ESPN wasn't willing to bid on the men's basketball package and ESPN was not willing to bid on baseball by itself or bas women's basketball or volleyball. So it was put together as part of a package, but I do think we've grown and developed. And I do think that there is a, there is a different audience for women's basketball than there is for men's basketball. Yeah. And all you have to do is look at the NBA and the WNBA as as a forerunner to that, when the WNBA started, their season basically mirrored the NBA season. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that didn't work. There are basketball people that are interested, but the NBA is going to dominate. So the WNBA season is really the mere opposite of the NBA season. You look at the WNBA season. So maybe a way for women's basketball to grow and develop, it's not to have it mirror the men's basketball season, but to have it be offset where mm -hmm. in April, one of the things I hear from people all over the country and especially our fans is, God, we're so addicted to March Madness and college basketball. And all of a sudden on April 5th, there's nothing. 
Yeah. A lot of women's basketball was now coming to, you had women's basketball conference tournaments in mid-April. You had the NCAA women's tournament in late April and early May. Now, for a lot of those people that love college basketball, they don't have to choose between men's basketball and women's basketball. They can mm -hmm. go with women's basketball only. So I think we got to need, I think we need to think out, outside the box, but I, I would agree with you. And that audience for women's basketball is different than the audience necessarily for men's basketball or for volleyball. But I think that there are ways that we can grow and develop uh, and take much better advantage of the talent and, and, the sport and the enthusiasm and the expertise in those sports than we are present. Yeah. I know Flan is an advocate for staggering those tournaments as well. So yep. he said yeah, that we actually, before. So yeah, we had, yeah. we had talked to him about that. That one was yeah. good. Go ahead, Jordan. No, I, I, not to, not to, I guess, backtrack again, but I do have to ask the question because I know you <clears> spent <throat> now after just talking about it, time as the women's basketball coach, <laughs> What went in, I guess, to your, because most people don't, I mean, you, I guess you can't go to school to become an AD, but <laughs> most people don't go, you know, like, I want to become an AD right off the bat. And most people don't make that transition, I guess, as smoothly as you made it from coaching to becoming an athletic director. How, how, what went into that for you? Like, what did you just, was it a calling? Was it something like you knew was the next step for you? What, what went into that? Well, first of all, it was stupidity. And secondly, it wasn't smooth. Uh, you know, uh, I never wanted to be an administrator. I wanted to be a coach. People that have coached and played understand the unique relationship you have when you've got a group of people that are all intensely focused on the same goal. And that's to be better individually, to be better as a group and to recognize and take advantage of the talent of everybody in that small group. That's an addiction. It's an addiction in the classroom. I love teaching. It's an addiction in coaching. But at the time, I turned down the opportunity twice. And on the third time, it was partly because I was scared to death as a white male that I was going to be a, a unicorn. I was going to be out. Uh, and I was fairly strict and demanding as a coach. I thought, because when I quit coaching at Creighton, we had eight scholarships, you could have 15. We didn't have a full-time assistant. We didn't have a place to play. And I was, uh, concerned that all I needed, I mean, I, one bad year, I could be out of a job, but secondly, uh, I had three kids at the time that, uh, that uh, I just I made the decision to go into athletics administration, and uh, they were young, but I, I was on the road. I was away from home more than twenty weeks a year. I was spending in a different bed. Uh, I was on the road recruiting. We were playing when we had camps. I was on campus with camps, and my kids were going, Dad when are you going to be home again? And do you have to go on the road again? And I wasn't a very good father. You know, I was an absentee father in a lot of ways. So that was uh, one of the big precipitors for me. Uh, but, uh, and, and uh, six months into being in an athletic administration, I go, what the hell did I do? <laughs> if I could have got back into coaching, I'd got back into coaching, but it was a more normal path back in those days, being an athletic director athletic administrators changed dramatically in the last 27 years. You certainly saw more people in the early 90s and late 80s that were really at the end of their coaching career 
uh, move into administration. You don't see that so much now. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was, it seemed like the right thing to do at the time, in spite of the fact that I'm telling you six months after I got into it, when people ask me, they say, okay, I'm in coaching and I want to go to an administration and give me some, some guidance. And I give them one word answer. Don't. <laughs> I got, I got really lucky, but uh, if I could go back and do it again, I just stayed in coaching to be real honest. Um, this is, I heard you talk about this, uh, I can't remember where, but it, it made me think of it because I think there is a heightened awareness for, um, mental health these days than there ever has been before, even though the issue is not new itself. Yeah. And I, I'm curious, just, I know you're leaving, so it's, you're, you're almost powerless to answer this in a way that's satisfactory, but how important do you feel like you know, because it's easy, I guess, for observers in any capacity, whether they're reporters, coaches, administrators, players, fans, to like, if you see someone on the playing service limping, you can tell that they're not 100% themselves, they're not right. But it's harder for observers to see the internal struggle that people are going through that can affect performance and that might lead to criticism if performance is subpar in people's opinions, right? So, what do you feel like is how how important do you feel like is mental health and how much responsibility do you feel like is on the institutions, these universities to prioritize that as much as they prioritize a strength and conditioning program or anything that preserves physical ability? Just like I alluded to earlier, it's easy to it's easy to talk. It's a lot more difficult to walk the talk. Mm. And in any sport. And the, the percentages change, okay? But you say it's 80% mental, it's 60% mental, it's 50% mental, right. okay? I haven't heard somebody say, well, this sport's 10% mental, okay? But we haven't walked the talk. If it's 80% mental, why are we not spending 80% of our time and resources on the mental aspect of the sport? We haven't done that. And I think it's one of the advances that we have today. We got a long ways to go, but when I look back at, in the 80s. I mean, I was mother, father, doctor, psychologist, trainer. Uh, and a lot of my players continue to think I was more mother than uh, I was some of the other things. Uh, but mother wasn't a standalone. Uh, but anyway, we need to spend more time on the mental aspect. And we're not trained enough. I wasn't trained enough as a coach. I wasn't trained enough as a parent. I wasn't trained enough as a friend. But if we say athletics is 60% mental or 70% mental, we better walk the talk. We better make more of a commitment to that and we're working on it, uh, but we're not where we need to be. And you're absolutely right. The mental aspect of it. And I think it was highlighted by the COVID issue. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the COVID issue, one of the positives of the whole pandemic has been, it has focused and it has shown us how much more mental is a part of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I hope we see a lot more advances in the next few years. Yeah. And I think just with going forward for you too, you know, I, on my senior night, I even said in my speech, you know, I, I think it was great. Like my senior night, my freshman year, you said something that really stuck with me when, and I, I said it in my senior speech and you just kind of talked about impact and you said you measure, you know, the impact a person has on the conditions 
of the program when they started and when after, whether no matter what it is, that can be the yeah. business team, school, all of that, right? Yeah. And I thought that was great. And I've just even in this past year, I've been trying to think of how I can measure, how I've been able to measure my impact and all that. And just as someone who has had, you know, Jesuit education and all that, I guess for you in your next step, how, and like you've, you've said it many times, even now, like how much being a servant leader means to you. So I guess how, how do you, how are you going to continue that within your, you know, the, whatever the next step is for you? How are you going to feel that? Because I know like that's something that's just in you. Like that's that's just who you are. And so I guess how are you going to, you know, continue that and fill that void, I guess, to, going well, forward with whatever your next step may be? My, uh, it's a good question. My, my uh, position will change. And in some ways, that's good. You know, my position is one that's in the spotlight. The athletic director's in the spotlight, okay? And uh, we get too much credit when things go well and probably get too much blame when they don't. But I don't know of a position more dependent upon others than an athletic director. You better have good coaches. You better have good staff. You better have a president that supports athletics. You better have a board that supports athletics. You better have boosters that are willing to make a commitment to you. There's so many things that you need to have. But I will tell you that... Think about your own families. Think about the business you're in and think about the community you're in. It is the success of a family, the success of a business, the success of a community. And I alluded to it earlier, the success of a basketball program is not as dependent upon those people that are in the spotlight. It's more dependent on the faithfulness, the dedication and the loyalty of those that are not in the spotlight. They're the core of a family. They're the core of a business. They're the core of a team. They're the core of a community. And I'm going to be in a position, I would imagine that I'm a lot less in the spotlight, but there are a lot of things. I'm not one that's going to sit at home. I'm not leaving Omaha. I'll continue to be able to help Creighton. I'll be able to continue to be able to help a lot of people in the athletic department, but there are a lot of things in the community you know, um, I've got a real affinity for Abide Ministry, Josh Dotzler and his dad and what they're doing in the North Omaha community, Stevens Center in the South Omaha community, Project Harmony, which is an unbelievable not-for-profit, uh, the FCA. And I've only been able to be tangentially involved in those programs. And hopefully with a little bit more flexibility in my daily schedule, I'll be able to get more involved in some of those things. Uh, and I've always... Uh, you know, really had an addiction to teach. So I may have an opportunity or two to teach. So again, uh, in a lot of ways, maybe I can have more impact not being in the spotlight than I could. And you just hope that you can find some things where you can be faithful, you can be dedicated, you can be loyal in spite of, you don't want your pride to get in the way and say, boy, I need to be in a leadership position. I need, I'm, I'm willing to do things where I can have an impact without having that happen. And I'm looking forward to that, Frankie. Mm -hmm. Russ, I, I know you don't, I know you're going to dread the kind of the last few days as it turns into a sort of a retirement tour. And I know that as you reflect on the things that still need to be accomplished, you're going to have maybe some regret. I certainly hope that those moments aren't amplified and that you're able to appreciate what these last three decades have been like. Cause I know for a fact and you're, there's testament to it in this podcast right here with Jordan that you've impacted a lot of people in a positive way. And I, I hope that's the prevailing emotion for you as you leave, um, regardless of what you feel like is left undone. Um, I appreciate your time. 
and uh, certainly look forward to running into you, you know, just those happy little accidents along the way, regardless of your position, because you're a one of one and we appreciate you. Well, I, I appreciate that. And Jordan will understand this reference, but Dick Yupa was at virtually every practice. I'm probably going to be next to him and now <laughs> the players will have bets on who fall asleep first and who's yeah. the oldest. <laughs> you guys but can I'll be it. around. Yeah. I'll just be in a different position. I'll be sitting next to you and we'll be bitching about what coaches are doing. Why aren't they playing Jordan more? You know, those types of things that you can't say necessarily in the position I'm in. Gotcha. I look forward to it. And I appreciate your support. And I certainly have appreciated getting around Jordan. I learned a lot more from Jordan than he ever learned from me. Same, same. Appreciate that. Shows I don't know if that's true, but I appreciate that. I got to change my attire now based on Jordan's outfit here today. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just now I'm looking forward to coming out to Omaha because now we can. You said you said Budweiser earlier, and it's been stuck in my head. But so mm. now we can grab we can grab a beer together at a game. That's now. right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. I look See? forward to it. I'll buy the first one too, Jordan. There we go. Oh, I, now I'm even more excited. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Ras and uh, Ras. We appreciate you. Enjoy the Thank last you, few Ras. days, my yeah. man. Thank you. Thank you very much.